Welcome everybody to another episode of Strife's Sanctum. My name is Citizen Strife and this week we're going to keep dabbling into that kind of Victorian anime-ish setting in, in a different way. The last time we did Emma, a Victorian romance, <clears throat> this time we're going to do Shadow's House. And Shadow's House is something that kind of caught me off guard last year. It was something I was kind of looking on... You know, because at this point, I'm trying to look up for shows, and I have certain things that I like. You know, isekais are okay, harems are okay, comedies are okay, but I'm more into the, like, weird, darker kind of aesthetic. And anything that's like a Victorian setting is kind of offbeat enough that I'm enjoyable of them. And then when I heard the premise of this show, I thought it was going to be something really good. And I do think it was kind of around either Halloween or a little after Halloween. So I was kind of in the mood for something like that. Because I tried watching something like Angels of Death and didn't get it. But this show, while not completely t to what I was looking for, still kind of had a unique selling point to it. And really drove me to completing it. And... I did want to talk about it because especially since now that it's good, uh, popular enough that it's gotten a second season, it's definitely worth a look. And, you know, these new shows, it's kind of tough because you never know. Is it just going to be the 12 or 24 episodes or is it going to be something so big it's going to keep going? Um, we ran into the situation with uh, Shield Hero where I did the first season and now we've got the second season going currently. Um you know, Konosuba just got announced. It's got a third season. I mean, Konosuba is obvious because it's Konosuba, right? But Shadow's House was under the radar. So you never know if shows like this are going to get a second season or if they're going to wait like five years like certain shows do. But since I know that this one has a second season lined up, I'm going to talk about the first season in general and really why it's still a strong show despite not being what I was looking for when I initially saw it. And what it really comes down to is the house itself. It, it kind of fits that, like, Victorian setting. It doesn't specifically say England in that time period, uh, though the dress and the attire definitely fits that, like, Black Butler, Emma style. And the house is kind of on its own. No other, like, outside influences, no other characters or anything, except those that are inside said house. But it's the beings that reside inside that are really the selling point. Because the idea is that denizens of the house are kind of in this stratified class system. You know, the, the highest end people are on the top floor with the owner, I guess, the grandfather. And then on down, on down, on down. And you have maids and you have people cleaning, but they're not specifically cleaning the house just to clean it. The idea with the Shadow's house is that the people living inside the house are, like, human, but not quite human, where they do not even have faces. They're basically beings made of soot, or black smoke, or just something to that regard. And they just permeate that smoke when it's just dark when they're distressed when they're in bad moods and how do you clean them well 
you have your normal maids and whatnot, but you also have what are known as living dolls. And the living dolls are essentially humans with the same faces. So what you are seeing are the characters that look like the living that look like the Shadows House denizens, and they're expected to mirror exactly what the person is. That doesn't always happen, but the expectation from the higher ups is that your shadows and your living dolls are in perfect unison and conduct themselves with, you know, the hoity toity and the whatnot. That doesn't always happen. And again, I think when I saw this, I was expecting something more like physical abuse and emotional trauma and a lot darker dystopian idealism. You get that a little bit, but you also get a lot more comedic moments. And it's more of a comedy, despite that premise, which is an interesting idea. And I, I suppose when they considered it, they didn't want to make it too dark, because if they did, it would be really, really depressing, right? But it's also not like Emma, where it's a complete drama, either. So it's like half a comedy, half a, like, a exploration of the human psyche, kind of, through through these characters that are not quite realistic, because neither of them are human by the normal story the normal idea because your living dolls are meant to be subservient to the mirrors who are, you know, just basically just living in this house brainwashed, uh, so to speak. So it's kind of divided in the initial setup of the show. And then the second half of the season is this thing known as the debut. So you have your characters and, um, I'm only going to talk about two or three. I'm not going to talk about all of them, but the main characters are Emilico and Mistress Kate. So Emilico is Mistress Kate's living doll. She wakes up, she doesn't know what's going on, and she is just this super bubbly personality, you know, that that sort of thing. And very resourceful for somebody who doesn't really know a whole lot, doesn't understand a whole lot, but she is that viewpoint character of this weird Shadows House thing. You have the other characters living dolls and people telling her go here don't do this don't do that sort of stuff there are phantoms in the world the idea is that if you have too much soot collected they become these um antagonistic beings known as phantoms and they're shown off again i don't think they're shown off as malevolent as they could have been so bear that in mind that is my main criticism as i'll get to um but emilico has to understand that she is subservient to this lesser noble, let's say, Mistress Kate. And the concept of, well, Emilico is kind of her own person doing her own thing and trying to help her own mirror, but at the same time, Kate, who is kind of, like, reserved and less outgoing and is just kind of, like, sitting there, not like completely face-palming it, but you can know she's frustrated. So there's a, a good, unique relationship there, and every character alongside them, you know, their mirrors and their shadows, you know, the living dolls have their own kind of like have-and-have have beliefs. But other characters are like super bubbly, super posh, super prideful, super dickish, or just 
even more reserved and just don't even do anything. Um, and you, you get a good sense of them trying to exist alongside Emilico and Kate's because they're all kind of competing. The main idea of this show is the people above them are going to grade them. And if certain people make certain mistakes, then those characters leave the house. It's left to their own devices. It's implied that they die. And I do believe they do. Or they are left to be destroyed. Kind of, kind of that idea. So there is some unhinged weirdness going on. It is mostly still played for laughs, though. But the debut is held together by this person known as Edward. This really posh guy who just doesn't want to be there, but knows that he can kind of use it to his advantage because he's like a lesser... He's above them, but he's not like higher-end, super posh level in the house. So he thinks his plan is, let me fuck over these five candidates in this thing. And then I'll show that none of them deserve to be here. And then they will look at me like I'm better than you. Because that's his whole point. So he's the antagonist of the piece. And again, I'm sure there are higher-end antagonists later, like the grandfather or the other people in the adult wing. But those five, including Emilico and Mistress Kate, those five pairs are cordoned off into this debut so the second half of the show it runs quite long but i do appreciate the effort that they took to make this debut as big a deal as it is because you're always graded on things so the first part of this debut is kind of like an interview it's like how do you process being around other people how do you um do you do you dance do you play a piano do you just sit and sip tea do you do whatever there's also a mechanic where the tea is like this brainwashing agent so certain people use it some people don't so who drinks it who doesn't and who finds out why they don't want to drink it you know so do you become absolutely subservient or do you kind of avoid it you know so there is still some niggling weirdness at play the second part of the debut the one that takes the most time is this maze it's like a garden hedge maze kind of thing. The characters are allowed one piece of equipment, and their job is to find their master and bring them back within an allotted time limit before they succumb to soot, or they either... I don't think they would perish, but whatever, but it is definitely frowned upon to fail. So you do have to survive it. And this is where Emilico really gets the goat and it's not like she's the best one there's another character named lou who is like quiet and just does her thing and is great because she's just great you know at it emilico is kind of like that how would i describe it the well-to-do stupid person but she's committed to the cause of her master so much so that she's more resourceful than you think that's the best way i would describe it because she does things that don't make sense they make sense to her, but nobody else, and it looks weird, but then she ends up getting results. So you end up realizing that Emilico's better than you think she is, even though she comes off as kind of a dope. So the beauty of it is that all five of these pairs are doing their own thing and doing their stuff in their own way, and they end up not becoming friends. 
I mean, some of them do, but not really. They know that the antagonist of the piece is Edward, so they have, like, certain pairs of people being pricks, but they don't have everybody, you know, so they kind of group together and they try to succeed. And in the end, it's revealed that Edward is just using them as pawns and whatnot, and that's where kind of the season ends. But I do think that there's a lot about the aura of this show, the subservient person the class you know the class system in the household you could do a lot with this house you can make it a horror story you can make it a a a posh piece you can make it a period piece you could do a lot of stuff because it's set in this other time period it's not from us so it's not like a complete like oh my god spooky horror you know that sort of jump scare kind of thing it's not played for a drama it's kind of all of these things at once And I do hope, and that's where I'll get into my criticism of it before I get into the positives, is it is a bit too comedic for its own good. And I do think that was intentional. I do think that the the show was trying to make Emilico this goofball idiot because they wanted to kind of deaden the, the, the dramatic and hefty intensity of this story because essentially what you're doing is you're making a class-based household with a lot of people stressed out of their minds and then they create these beings of natural hatred from their annoyance and pestilence and just absolute horror but the fact that these characters are living dolls and they're designed specifically to you know mimic your actions when you make them and do the thing you want to do like you could you could experiment with that and make this a really freaking dark ass show i think that's what i was looking for i don't think i got it i still got something i enjoyed but i i i do think that if you're looking for a comedy it still works i think if you're looking for a darker show it still works you just have to go in with the mindset that it's too comedic for its own premise which is a very interesting premise, but it's also not dark enough, you know, to steer off the people looking for like a complete horror. It's not a complete horror show. It's kind of like 60% comedy, 40% dark shit. I was kind of looking for a 70, 30 dark shit and 30% comedy, but what, you know, I'm quibbling at that point, I suppose. Now that I know what Shadow's House is, I can look forward to more of it. But that being said, there are some good things about it. Emilico and Mistress Kate, as the two main characters, provide two sides of the same coin, literally. And Emilico isn't completely useless. She comes off as a resourceful person, despite the fact that she doesn't really know anything. She is driven to help her help her master succeed and in turn her master is doing everything she can to not make Emilico fail so they feed off each other very well I do like the mechanic of the living dolls and the masters kind of being the same person but not really especially in Emilico's case but everybody's different Um, I, I do like that you know there are clear antagonists But at the same time, if you've seen one sort of, oh my god, they're not worthy of being in it, you know, you've you've seen them all. So don't expect anything crazy out out of nuance other than the premise. But there are things you can play with. There are cool things, and I think you could probably expand on it. 
they spend a lot of time in the debut rather than they, they build the show in the first few episodes and they spend like seven or eight on the debut itself. Going forward, I think you can mess around with a lot of the uniqueness that this premise can provide you. And the living doll and the master mechanics and the other denizens of the house and what the phantoms are, all the other cool stuff. You can make some cool things going on. But I think above all, aside from the premise, is the fact that it is set in a, in a, it's not a high school. Not an izakai. It's set in a Victorian setting. And even for anime, that's still rare enough that like I like it. Because you do have that medieval setting, but you also have that medieval English-based setting. It's not m explicitly like Black Butler or Emma or something like that, but it's still there. I have a fondness for those kinds of settings because they're not the high school setting. Because they're not the izakai in the video game and the whatever and the medieval fantasy setting. You know, because those are the default this is probably the level two or level three default uh, setting other than those, you know, two. Maybe maybe just Japan in general is the third. But this kind of sits there as a, as a rare enough option that if you're looking for something that out of, out of left field but still comedic and fun, Shadow's House still provides you something. It might be one of those shows that you have to be kind of in the mood for because it's not going to appeal to everybody. And as I've said before, I think the balance between being too comedic versus being too dark may steer some people off of it because it is a comedy as opposed to being what I was expecting. But I do think that knowing that they're going to keep going with this, there's still so much you could explore with this. And of course, like the ending theme. Um, I said before that the opening theme to Toradora is kind of what got me through the show despite me sort of liking it but not really this was kind of the same thing the ending is called nai nai by riona and it's very popular for a reason it's it is exactly what i was expecting the show to be i read the lyrics to it yesterday when i was redoing uh the primer for the show and holy crap if you read the subtitles for that for that song it is dark it is depressing it is like oh that's where all the crazy shit goes uh, they even had a music video to it so i would definitely look up the uh, the ending theme to shadow's house it is really fucking good and it drives you to keep wanting more of it i mean that's a weird thing to say but a lot of people like watching these for the ending and opening themes and i will say this much the ending theme is bad is the best thing about the show not saying the show is bad it's just different um but at the end of the day it is getting a second season, and it's debuting next month, so I'm not disappointed. I like the fact that there's still some interesting things you can do with a premise, and it's dark enough that the older me can appreciate it, but the younger you know, younger people can still be like, ah, this is kind of funny, it's kind of stupid. you know. So bear that in mind. But that'll do it for today, and next week we're going to be doing Donkey Kong Country. And Donkey Kong Country, again, is one of those not-RPGs, I know, but it's Donkey Kong Country. I mean, what's not to love about Donkey Kong Country? And I still love playing it here and there when I get a chance. Um, DKC is great. The next anime is Tiger and Bunny, and as I said, I rewatched that. It's one of my favorite shows. Um, I, it's the last thing I'm probably going to watch on Netflix before my subscription ends, and... 
it's just a great premise of superheroes on TV making a reality show about superheroes catching bad guys in the city that sort of despises them, you know. But how do you handle the fame and glory that comes with being a superhero but having no privacy? So it's it's kind of a cool idea. They play with it a lot like The Incredibles does. And then the week after, we're getting back into anime, or we're getting back into games, sorry, we had the video game, we had the anime, we're having another video game, and man, I forgot, I said I was not going to forget the game, <laughs> god damn it, I did this last week, I don't know why I'm doing it, um, and I have it listed, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh. how did I forget this? Kirby and the Forgotten Land. How the fuck do I forget that? I didn't have to look it up this time. I remembered it offhand. So this might become a trend. But yes, Kirby and the Forgotten Land. It's a Kirby game. That means it's great. So of course I'm going to talk about it because Kirby's great. And if there's any, any video game that would make anybody smile of any age, it's Kirby. So I'm glad I played it. I'm glad I've gotten into Kirby. And how the fuck? fuck do I forget Kirby in the Forgotten Land? I'm a fucking dumb. Anyway, so we've got Donkey Kong Country, Tiger and Bunny, Kirby in the Forgotten Land, and we'll keep going from there. But as always, if you did like this video, like, share, subscribe. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of these podcasts and kind of, I'm getting better at them, but I'm still making stupid mistakes like forgetting what I'm doing next. Hey, but I'm having fun, and hopefully you guys are having fun too. But I'll see you guys next time. Citizen Strive, signing off.